This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. We are back on Your Tech Report. Thank you so much for being here. I am Marco Flatlow in Montreal, as always, joined by Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles. And our guest, Mitchell, is standing by to talk all about board games. Yes, and you know, I, I've said this many times, Mark. It's like, what's the point? of having your own talk show, and again, at the risk of sounding self-serving, I'm gonna say this. What's the point of having your own talk show if you can't talk about the things you love and talk to great people that you admire in said industry that you also love? So, it's no, it's it's a fact, you know I love games, and you know, we talk about video games on the show all the time because of the tech connections there, Mark, and I also love to go analog with my gaming, and I love board games. So, when a new Stonemeyer game comes out, uh, if you're if you're a gamer, if you're into board games, you know Stonemeyer games, and you're gonna know them a lot more when you're done. If you don't know them, um, when a new Stonemeyer game comes out, that's a big deal to me, and it's a big deal to a lot of people. So, thankfully, we have with us uh, one of the top board game designers and publishers in the world. He's the man behind Stonemeyer Games, uh, and he's also a friend of the show, and more importantly, probably one of the nicer people you'll meet in any industry. He is Jamie Stegmeyer, and he has come back. He's been on twice, and yet he still comes back wow. for more. I, is <laughs> that a good thing? Welcome back, now. Jamie. God bless you for coming back so much. Third timers club. I, I feel I, honored that you're not even. We need twice to have now. like yeah. a, a medallion or some kind of thing we can right. like send out to you just to uh, just to do it. Yeah. I feel like we owe him a doctor's bill for the therapy that this must cause <laughs> having to be with us this many times. No, seriously, man. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, before we start, because um, anyone that follows, and I encourage you to follow both Stonemeyer Games and Jamie Stegmeyer himself on social media, because he's very communicative. You'll learn more about him, more about his games. And if you know Jamie, you know he's a sucker for the sweets. So before we start, <laughs> as you start all of your your Facebook videos, what is your chocolate of the day if you have one? Or is it too early? Or is it ever too early for a chocolate of the day? It's no, it's not, not it's for me. Tour. It's not Come too on. early yeah. for chocolate okay. of the day. I did just have a pretty heavy lunch. So I, I think in about an hour or two, I'll have in, I think it's endangered species is the brand. I have like a few squares left on a chocolate bar. I think it's 45%. What is your ideal percentage, Mitchell? I don't know if I asked you that. What's your ideal percentage for chocolate? You know what? I, I really don't know. I mean, I've had stuff in like the mid-30s that I've loved. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gone above 40. It sounds so technical. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't. Is there, is there an advantage to go, should I be in the above 40 club? I don't know. At my age, I already It gets darker am. and darker. It gets less and less sweet. But oh, that's, so yeah. yeah. You know what it is, Jamie? I'll tell you this now, and then we'll get back to talking about games, of course, for everyone that's listening going, why are they talking about chocolates? I know this guy's <laughs> great. but um, I, I, love, I love milk chocolate by itself. I love darker chocolate when it's covering something else. Yeah. So that's okay. my pure ex dark totally. chocolate, even though, and it has to be, I think, on the lower count if I'm having just dark, dark chocolate on its own. If it's a higher count, I probably would prefer it covering something else. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes perfect sense, especially if it's covering something sweet and that way it balances Thank a little you. bit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, same here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I hope that at, once you recover from your big lunch, you will start stuffing your face. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Winds of Galecrest. Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you're teasing me now because I have my copies. My copy is going to be arriving any minute. Uh, that's a be yeah. beautiful artwork, by the way. Um, so for people that don't know, this is a game, Libertalia, the original game, came out about 10 years ago. It's been out of print. This is not, and I, and I know you talked about this, it's it's not fair to call it a pure reprint because it's not just a reprint of the original game. This is a revised edition, a new edition of the game. Is that a fair way to put it? 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way I think I, people use those terms different ways. But when I think about a reprint, it's like one of our games, Wingspan. When I want to make more Wingspan, I reprint Wingspan. Right. Whereas Libertalia, like you said, is a game that came out around 10 years ago. It did very well for a little while. And then the publisher just decided they wanted to focus on other things. And so it went out of print. And we decided to bring it back in a completely new edition. And by we, I mean me and the designer, um, the original designer of the game. Paolo well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you have, um, obviously, you're the publisher of the game. You got the rights to the game and you know, you're publishing it. Uh, as a designer yourself, did you have input? Did you guys work together to do add different elements to the game or things that you saw over the last 10 years going, mm, I love this game as it is, but wouldn't it be great if we fill in the blank? Were you able to do that together? Yeah, that was that was that was very much how the process worked. Like part of it stemmed from my love of the original game, but also now my ability as a publisher to offer ideas and suggestions to Paolo. And also I went through and basically watched every review and read every question about the game that's on BoardGameGeek or anywhere that I could find questions because I wanted to enhance the clarity of the original game um, in this new edition. And so I kind of did that research and brought it all to Palo and said, hey, here's what people said about the first uh, first version. How can we make this better for a new edition? Is that something you do often um, in your own games? It just, I mean, really kind of digging in to what people are saying, because that's a really big attention to the detail. Yeah, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of it uh, on what, uh, especially what just gamers are saying about our games, the types of questions they're asking over and over again, the concerns they express repeatedly and uh, things like that. I do try to keep a little bit of separation between myself and reviewers of our games because I really want to stay as unbiased as possible there. Like, I don't want any part of me to say, oh, maybe I shouldn't send a game to this reviewer because they didn't like the last one. Like, I, I want that separation so I do send a game to a reviewer who maybe didn't like the last one so that we can better inform people who are thinking about our games. That must be time consuming, though. I can imagine going through these like Reddit boards <laughs> and trying to see what people are talking about. I mean, I'm sure that takes a lot of time. It does take time sometime, but it helps uh, that we have like Facebook, Facebook groups and BoardGameGeek uh, have really, really helped. Uh, that two main platforms that I pay attention to. Reddit is a Reddit's a whole other thing. Oh, that I that's a, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a deep, deep rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I mean, Mark, you you touched on something, that, and again, if you know both Stonemar Games and you know Jamie, you know, not necessarily personally, but through social media, through the different platforms, I don't know how you have, and I think I mentioned this in one of the two visits before. I don't know how you have a free hour in the day for your life because <laughs> you're you're so present on social media talking about you know the gaming process you're you're helpful to budding designers who need help and you know you publish materials so they can learn about that uh, you reach out to people about different games and you're a big game fan yourself i mean i don't know i mean it's a cliche there aren't enough hours in the day but when it comes to you i don't know how there are enough hours in the day for you i mean how are you able to partition because i know your life is also a priority for you and making that time how do you partition everything so well because i don't know how you do it it's been a learning process over the years. <laughs> sure. I, I, I have no one thing that does. Yeah. <laughs> I think it helps that I, I kind of decided a while ago that I genuinely like working every day, like seven days a week. Like it isn't a burden for me. It feels good for me to do something productive or creative um, every day. And so that, that really does help. And I totally understand how some people's lifestyles, lifestyles want to, to only work, you know, four days a week, five days a week. But for me, that just felt, I realized, I kind of gave myself permission to do that, and I, it felt right for me. Have you guys experienced that at some point where you just decided, like, this work schedule is just right for me, even though it might be different for the, the average person? Mine's, mine's normally forced. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what happens when your wife and your children dictate what you're going to do in life. Now, uh, you know, I think back in my, in my single days, like, definitely I enjoyed working seven days a week. 
you know, I definitely you know took it easier on weekends and, and times like that, and I really helped me. But I mean, I, f- I would find myself working until oh the sun is up. I think I should go to bed now. But you know, I obviously don't have that luxury anymore. But I think I do, I do kind of miss an element of the creativity that I had at that point in time. But you you find ways to just kind of you know fit it into your life as your life evolves. And and I think part of it also is the difference between working because you want to and working because you have to. That's yeah. a very different dynamic and a very different approach too. And again, having the luxury of either being an independent contractor or having your own company as you do, Jamie, uh, you get to choose what you do and when you do it. And then it doesn't become something that you have to do. And when you do something, I think, out of want rather than need and have to, I think you approach your work in a totally different way. I love that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. If you use that in any of your, you know, postings, I'd like complete credit for it. <laughs> um, so you touched on something when you were talking about uh, the, the process and and working of uh, Paolo Mori, the the publisher, the publisher, the uh, the designer of the game. Um, so obviously, as I touched in your introduction, you were already one of the top designers and publishers in the world. Uh, a lot of people, as a gamer, you're a big gamer and a fan of games. In addition to having this as your business, it's something that you're passionate about. So a lot of people that you were fans of are now colleagues. So is it sort of cool where you look at a game from the past and, oh, I really love this game. It's like, oh my God, I get to take this game now and publish it through my company and work with it. Is there still that geeky factor aside from the fact that, yeah, it's my business and I know these are my colleagues. Isn't it super cool though? Oh, it's it's super cool. It's surreal. Like even now <laughs> I've been talking to Paolo or emailing with him for a year. And every time I get an email from him, I'm like, oh, cool. That's an email oh, from Paolo Mori. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, absolutely. That, that never, that will never go away. I don't think. And it's for designers that were big before I came into the industry. And I think it will also continue in the future when someone hits it big out of the park. Actually. Yeah. This happened with Lost Ruins of Arnak, uh, the two, a uh, big game from last year, the year before yeah. the, the we'll two designers, a husband, yeah. wife team. Yeah. Check in. Yeah. I, I, I've gotten an email from those designers and it's just, they're new, but it's still that geekiness factor always comes out. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that ever goes away. It's happened to me. Yeah. I've worked with people that I've that I've seen in movies, and I'm sitting next to them at a table and reading, and, and I'm like, <laughs> like, what's what's wrong? And yeah, so you have gas. I'm like, no, I'm just giggling because this is very fun and very <laughs> surreal to me. So I totally yeah. get it. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the game. Uh, what makes this edition a little bit different? Because one of the things that came to mind, and I'll let you, I'll sort of lead you in, then I want you to sort of sure. touch on a few of these things. One of the things that came to mind about this game, and especially this version of the game, was accessibility. Um, yeah. You have one to six players, of course, but not only that, a robust single player and a dedicated two player. Uh, you have dual board, which gives you slightly different take that experience, if I'm not, if I'm not, Right, right. That's right. Um, yeah. So it seems like there, there is. When I think of this game, I think of accessibility. So a little something for everyone. Was that something that was important in your process? That's, I think, the exact correct word to 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 express this game. And accessibility is something that I thought more and more about over the years. And I, I think in the past, like I would limit it to like colorblind friendliness. That's that is important. That's very important. But it's just one aspect of so many different aspects of accessibility. You mentioned solo play, two player play, uh, a mode where it's it's more friendly, a mode where it's more cutthroat and piratey, um, and even just with the art design that we use, the creative design, we wanted something bright and cheerful on the table. Nothing wrong with the original edition that felt a little bit more like, more, more like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's okay right. too. But we wanted something that. Uh, would be inviting to families maybe a little bit more not that parents secure me it isn't it's a little judgmental but yeah every aspect <laughs> of it i just wanted to be inviting to people in different ways and a, and a variety of people yeah. and you know what and something about like the dual the dual board that stuck yes. out to me because and i think mark you'll be able to relate this mark is not a, a board game freak and i say that with all like my freak flag flying high uh like i am but 
one of the things about gaming for me now is, I mean, I grew up playing a lot of sports and I grew up playing a lot of board games. And I think they both crossed over into each other with that competitive element to the point where I think when I was younger, people didn't really enjoy playing games with me as much because I, mm. I played to win. <clears throat> Being in my late 50s, <clears throat> um, you look great, Mitchell. Oh, Jamie, stop. Mitchell, um, you look so good. <laughs> thank you so much. Why would, <laughs> what would prompt you to say something like that? Uh, but now as an older, I call myself an older gamer now because I am an older gamer now. Uh, I really go to the table for the experience. So when it comes mm. to Take That games, and for those that are, that are listening, Take That games, I mean, you could look at, you know, Uno, things basically where you can make plays, play cards, or do things in the game that can hurt or make, you know, you know, interfere with other players' progress. So that's sort of a Take That element. But the fact that you have, you know, levels of that in this game where if you don't want so much of that, you don't have to have it. For me, as someone that loves, you know, more of the experience, that's, a, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, and that's that's the same for me. I, I mean, I, that was some of the feedback I got from reading the game that some people wished that the the original game was a little less take thatty, and some people wanted there to be more take thatty. And so we gave players both of those options in this game. No, really, really yeah. smart. Um, let, let's let's talk about uh, the actual production value and production quality yeah. because you guys, uh, you guys, you especially, I think people don't realize again what a small company. Stonemeyer is so when I say you guys it is a small group of people and I think that's sort of that's that's a big sort of badge of honor because you guys are able to do so much with a small crew but doing the production value and having the quality of components that you guys have when you get a Stonemeyer game you know the box is going to be gorgeous the artwork is going to be beautiful you have that linen that linen finish even on the rule book which is gorgeous and the components you know that I'm a sucker for deluxified components and you went Bakelite with this. Can you show a little bit of what I'm talking about yeah. with the tokens? Because I saw this and my, my head exploded. Yeah, I'm, I'm eager for you to get your copies too because <laughs> the thing wait. about Bakelite, Bakelite for those who don't know is like a kind of a heavy plastic. Yes. Um, and there's a famous game called Azul. I, I know you know this, your listeners yep. may not, but there's a game called Azul that uses these exact tokens. And one of the best pleasures of playing Azul is reaching into a bag and digging tokens out of that bag and just like playing around with them. They just feel great. And so, I wanted to, in the original Libertalia, they were kind of thin cardboard tokens, which right. is fine. But I wanted something that really felt good, felt special when you got loot. Because you're a pirate, you're gathering loot. It should feel important and special to you. Absolutely. And you didn't just stop there because, again, and again, I, I don't know. Have you have you announced the retail pricing yet or no? I haven't. I haven't. Okay, okay. So we're not going to press you on that, obviously. We don't do that here. <laughs> uh, I know better than to ask Jamie. Jamie will tell us when he's ready. Uh, but I will say that when you're listening to this, you are very close to being able to pre-order. I don't want to wait till the end of the interview to say that. March 2nd is the pre-order day for the game. Um, and I, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, being a Stonemaier champion as well, because I encourage people to do that. Um, there, there is not just the, the Bakelite, you know, tokens that are in there, but you went ahead, and I think it's because you know I'm a sucker for bling. Like, let's make it all about me. God, Mitchell's <laughs> a sucker for bling. So not only are we going to have the doubloons that are cardboard in the game, but if you're Mitchell and you're a sucker for all the bling, you might want, I don't know, some beautiful metal doubloons, metal coins in the yeah. game. And you guys are offering that as well. Am I correct? We are. Yeah, I love. He reaches over. Coins. Yes, I love metal coins. So <laughs> I love. Oh. my camera's so dark here, but yeah, there you can see. Oh, them those a are bit. beautiful. And they just feel good. They sound good. And um, you mentioned the retail price. And, and one of the things that I really wanted for this game is I wanted it to be very retail friendly, very retailer friendly. Accessible. Yeah. Accessible. Yeah, exactly. And so, but I also wanted the metal coins. So instead of combining them into the game, as I think you said, uh, right. they are a separate add-on through our web store. But uh, I think we're offering a pretty affordable price for the for the pre-order uh, time period. Yeah. Oh, well, well to, to your credit, I mean, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of games out there that if you want to completely bling out your game, you can. You can do it through yeah. Etsy. You can go to Board Game Geek and look at the extra chips or you can go to the, the publisher and say, hey, I want to. But again, to your credit, 
the only the only thing that you can bling out as of right now is those coins or are those coins right. because everything else, like I said, is already beautiful. The finish yeah. on the cards. Was there, you know, because I've only been reintroduced into the hobby and I dove in, you know, hardcore for the last three three years. Was there a point where production value for you became, okay, you know what? This may not be the trend for everybody. Moving forward, when people get a Stonemeyer game, I want them to see the value, not just on the table and the experience of the game, which is always good, but also in the quality of the components when they're touching, when they're looking. When did that become a thing? It was, it was actually pretty early, I think. Uh, even with uh, our first Kickstarter project, a, a game called Viticulture, I got kind of caught up in the, in the stretch goal element of Kickstarter. We keep enhancing things, keep adding things. And I enjoyed that. And so once we moved away from Kickstarter, I still wanted to have that in our games. I wanted the games to feel like all the stretch goals had been unlocked, even though there never were any actual stretch goals. So I think I just carried, carried that over from, from those Kickstarter days. No, and it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, something, it's something that I absolutely love. And you, you mentioned Kickstarter, and I think, you know, poor Mark. Mark, I, I'm so sorry that I'm over-talking. Well, I, I get excited. By all means. So you... I, I get excited when Jamie's here. I don't get to talk to him that often. <laughs> we email and you know sometimes, but this is, you know, for me, it's, a, it's like a big deal. Um, you, you mentioned Kickstarter. And yeah. I, I love Kickstarter because, you know, there again, there are a lot of games that would never come to fruition. There are a lot of publishers whose games would not come out and then have, like, budding, soaring careers, if not for Kickstarter. The problem with Kickstarter for me is I see a game, I get ridiculously excited, and then I have to say to myself, relax, you're not going to see that game for, well, at least two years, especially now with the pandemic and <laughs> right. the challenges of production overseas and shipping those games to here, to distribution. So to your credit, and I think this is where having a smaller company comes in handy, mm -hmm. you do not announce a game until it's even getting ready to ship, until it's already been at the distribution center. And I think, did that? Did you start doing that as a gamer who just once you hear about it, you want that game and you wanted other gamers to know, okay, now here you can have it? Or was it just something that, that came along in a more organic way? I mean, because I love the fact that when you announce it, it's very close to being in our hands. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, I, I have found that I love this. And it started, I want to give credit where credit's due. It started with a game called Mechs versus Minions. Oh boy, that, oh yeah. Have you heard of the, what's, it's a League of Legends company. League of Legends, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, they did this thing a couple of years ago where no one knew where they were making a game. And then all of a sudden on social media one day, there were like 10 videos from reviewers reviewing this game. Like, and <laughs> people were so excited about it. I was excited about it. And then I went to pre-order it. And I saw on their on their website that the game had already been made and I was going to get the game in like a week after that. <laughs> and it was cool. just an epiphany. I was like, this is incredible. Like I can I can get excited about this thing and I can actually have it while I'm still excited about it. Uh, and that changed that's really changed everything for me that that well, changed how we make things. I mean, there's two kind of schools of thought for that. Right. Because if it's a Kickstarter, yeah. you're, you're backing it and the person making it can say, OK, there's demand for this. It makes sense yeah. for me to go through this process. But, you know, to Mitchell's point, then you're stuck sitting, twiddling your thumbs, wondering, is it going to get funded? Is it going to be made? Am I going to see this? But on the other hand, you talk about that experience where, like, the second you see it, well, you, you mean I can have this next week? I don't know. <laughs> like, I'd be torn kind of between between both because I love getting my hands on stuff now. You know, yep. yeah. it's the Amazon factor here. So I think that's kind of <laughs> cool. So the fact I mean, I was going to ask you earlier, if, you know, if if, you know, what your takeaways from using Kickstarter were that you use on a daily basis. Now, I'm guessing that's probably one of those experiences. Yeah, that's that's part of it. And, and still some of the core tenets that I love about Kickstarter about uh, gauging demand in some way. Kickstarter is really good at gauging yeah. demand, at least first run demand. Um, 
and I still try to do that, still try to gauge demand. Uh, the, uh, the idea of building a community and really engaging with the community around the game, I still try to carry that over. Um, it's really just the raising funds portion of Kickstarter that we, as a, a slightly bigger company now, we've just decided we're going we're gonna to risk our own funds for yeah. these things that we create. Um, instead of raising it up front from backers. I mean, it's I basically, you're basically pre-ordering, right? People, that's basically what they're doing. So you could do the right. same thing, but being a bit larger and have, having the, you know, the balls to put your own your own cash <laughs> on the line also proves to consumers that you believe in your product, right? It, when it's something's on Kickstarter, so. yes, it's great that there's a product there, but there are almost people are almost looking for some justification. They don't want to risk right. their own money. So like, okay, well, if you're not willing to put your own money in, why should I do it? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. And Mitchell, you back, you back a lot of Kickstarters too. How do you, how do you feel about that? Do you, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a mixed bag. I, you know, I, again, I get very excited. There's some great, it, it, it's hard because I, I don't want to say anything negative, but there are parts of me where I just absolutely love it when there are companies that are new to the space or doing something completely different, even if they're existing publishers and existing designers that are trying something completely risky and different. They're like, okay, maybe not something you'd expect from us, but here's what we're doing. We could we want this, we could use your support and the feedback. Absolutely. I yeah. almost feel at this point now it's become a tool, and I think I said this last time, that doesn't always necessarily need to be used. But again, it's hard for me because I don't know the financials of each of the companies that put it. I don't know if the companies have the money to, you know, just fund these games outright but there some yeah. of the companies that are that are that are doing it now are such big successful game companies that I wonder oh do we have to do it this way and listen it doesn't stop me from backing the games I still yeah. go crazy and back the games but I think there are some you know I, I think I probably won't be buying another zombicide anytime soon just because I'm over <laughs> zombicide with so many different and it's not because yeah. the game I don't love the game and I don't like the mechanics and they seem to get better each time but I feel like the bloat factor. I think that sometimes mm -hmm. when a game series stays on Kickstarter, there's more and more stuff added. The price keeps on going up. And that's something to be aware of, I think, uh, that yeah. consumers are aware of that, especially now when the prices start getting so big and it gets out of control, then I start backing off a little bit. I still do yeah. use it, but I'm also aware of the financials and saying, huh, do I need this game now? Because I had this game. Now the price yeah. seems to be going up. I seem to be judging price a little bit more now than I used to. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that too. I do wonder now with the, the ways supply chain and production is happening with games. Like I used to think, okay, if I don't get this game now on Kickstarter and it, if the game is good, it will probably then show up in retail later and right. I'll get it then if people are still talking about it. But now I, I wonder if that is changing a little bit uh, with the soaring freight cost, with increasing production cost. If, and I, this is kind of the opposite of what we've been saying a little bit, but right. there might be more instances now where the Kickstarter is truly the only way to get the game because they, yeah. they can't which, make another Which is game. really sad. And by the way, yeah. I would encourage, and whoever's listening, if there are other game publishers out there, I would encourage, not transparency like you're holding anything back, but I would encourage communication with your backers because there are situations where I know that there are certain companies are really having a hard time where we're talking about shipping costs that have not just doubled, but sometimes tri tripled and quadrupled. And I know it's hard for them to get these games to the to the backers. And I would encourage communication from the publisher to the backers saying, look, it's not like we're trying to keep the games from you. We, we need some help. Yeah. I would yeah. gladly toss an extra 10, 15, $20 into shipping, knowing that I'm actually helping this company, a company that I like and a game that I like get to the table. And you can only have that happen with some level of transparency in terms of communication. So I would encourage that because plenty of backers and gamers like myself would gladly help. 
because we know this. These are unusual times. There'll always be the the loud few that go, "I paid my money. It's the now you need to ship the game." It's like great in a perfect world. Yes, that's true. But right. in this climate, where you know we're we're still struggling globally after two years. I would love to know if there's an issue, if the shipping is the only thing holding things back, communicate, let people help, let people in, because there are more people, I think, that will be willing to help than not. Would you Would you agree with that, Jamie? I agree, yeah. I, I think it, it partially comes down to the the way they communicate it. Right, and I agree, hey, they sh- I think many carriers should c- consider doing that. I've heard some come out to backers and almost hold the product hostage. Yes, say, like, that's We won't cool. ship it to you unless you each contribute $5. That I don't think is a good way. No, no it's you go to backers and say, hey, like we're going to make this happen eventually, but it might take a lot longer if you, don't do if you want to help. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you want to help. It's all, like, it's all in the presentation, right? It's, it's, you know what? Yeah. You know. You know, it's funny is that you, you talk about this and there was a, a product that I bought um, on a crown. I don't know if it was crowdfunding or not, but I haven't heard anything in a while. OK. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue this morning, I get <laughs> an email from a lawyer with oh, some God. kind of class action against this company because they're going bankrupt or something like that. So that's the first communication I've had is that, oh, by the way, your money is uh, lost and you're not getting mm. this product. And I haven't heard from the company. Uh, mm. Okay. Well, thanks. I guess I don't have to ask that question anymore. I think yeah. sometimes it's hard for I mean, it's hard as human beings for us to admit that something is going wrong. Yeah, but I right. think on crowdfunding in particular, and like that's example there, Mark, that showing a little vulnerability can go a little can go a long way. It may, it may not even work out in the end, but just to put yourself out there and say like, hey, things aren't going as I planned. Um, let's talk about it. Let's let's figure this out. Yeah. But at least you know, I think people can relate to people can relate yeah, to that. And yeah. especially when you're talking Kickstarter, you're talking about at its core crowdfunding. People are a part yeah. of the process by definition doing that. Um, no, it's not. It shouldn't be approached as a retail thing because it's not. But again, when you have that back and forth, you are the backers. We want to answer to you. We love feedback. That communication should come both ways so that if if we can help in some way, if there's something we can do, we would love to. So anyway, let's get let's get up to Kickstarter. I want to go back to you know what I never asked you to do. Talk about. Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest. Uh, for those that who don't know or aren't familiar oh, with yeah. the original Libertalia and now Winds of Galecrest, of course, talk about the game and how it works and uh, just let, let's hear about the game so people can get excited about it. Yeah, yeah. So the, the theme of Libertalia is that you are part of a fleet of pirate ships that are going on little voyages where they, they visit a couple different islands and they pick up loot, kind of essentially raid, abstractly raid these islands <laughs> and grab loot from these islands and take it back to their ships. And to do so, on each turn of the game, each player is going to select one of their crew members to go to that island. And so you'll secretly and simultaneously choose one card from your hand as the, the character that will go to the island to collect the loot. And each of these characters has a different ability that might activate at different times. Maybe they activate when they arrive at the island. Maybe they activate when they're collecting the loot. Maybe they even activate when they're back on your ship at, at nighttime, just hanging out on the ship. Um, but the whole core of the game is that each player has this, the same random uh, set of character cards and the choices are which character do you play at which time right and which character do you save for the next round or the final voyage of the game uh, yeah that's pretty much how it works and you know what there is there's an element also in the gameplay that i thought was really cool again my copy it will be in my hand sometime today i keep on looking over my shoulder because <laughs> i could see the window where the ups guy comes um <laughs> There are, uh, oh, I'm sorry, what, what, what did you just, there was one, element oh, the, oh yeah, the, the time of day, the time of day, that's what I want to mention. Yeah. So also different times of day come into play, depending on when you play the card, there's like, I think there's a morning, there's a, there's like, a, when the sun goes down, there's evening, so yeah. different effects will happen and different cards have different effects depending on when they are played in, in that, in, you know, chron- chronologically during the day, correct? Yeah, each of the characters is ranked from one to 40 with the 40, the 40 character, I think is the governor, the highest ranked character. Um, and the abilities are essentially 
they, they're better the lower the rank. So you might have a really powerful ability at three or four. Um, and then, uh, however, it's the characters with the higher rank that gather the loot first. They'll have the first choice of the loot. So it's kind of this push and pull. Do I play a character with a stronger ability, but I'm going to get last pick on the loot, or I could get last pick for the loot. Or do I play a higher number character with the worse ability, but have first choice on that, those loot tokens? Uh, see, and that, see, I will do anything in my power to get my hands on those bake-like, those bake-like <laughs> tokens. So again, again, it's like, you know what it reminds me of? Because uh, we both played Quacks, right? We both enjoy Quacks. And I don't know about you, but I upgraded my chips and go, like you said, when you go into that bag and you get, grab a big, and this oh, is even, yeah. this is better than Quacks because these, these tokens are big and thick and I can't wait. So I'm super excited to play. And again, uh, I would encourage everyone to go to Stonemeyer Games, March 2nd. Make sure you get your pre-order. I also want to encourage people to become a Stonemeyer champion. Again, Jamie doesn't ask me to talk about this. He's probably cringing <laughs> right now. He's like, you don't have to do that, but it's a great deal because, number one, you're supporting a great company. You get 20% off all of your games and shipping. You also get maybe games shipped a little early sometimes. You get that little Stonemeyer, uh, you know, champion love. Before we let you go, Jamie, and I appreciate you've been here, you know, thank you for coming back and spending all this time oh, yeah. with us again. Of uh, we always have to talk about what you're playing. Now, I saw you mention in one of your videos, I don't know if you've posted a video about it yet, but I know we both have played Merchants of the Dark Road. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would love, uh, I don't want to influence you at all with what I had to say, but I'd love to hear your take on the game now that you've played it. Yeah, I actually just posted the video this morning from oh. play, my first play of it last week, and I really enjoy the game. It's a beautiful game, and it's really the production, you know, the publisher me can't look past the production. It's a beautiful production. They have like a, they have a magnet on the board that, that attaches a dial to the board. <laughs> yeah. And my favorite thing, I don't know if you, I'm sure you noticed this, but there, there are tokens that are double-sided tiles. And then oh, one the side of the tile is yeah. normal. And there's gold foil on the other side meant to represent like a legendary version of that item. Yep. Just those little, those little touches. This I think goes for any product, but yeah. for any game that adds those, those little touches to make something feel special. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I had, first of all, I was anticipating this game because I heard about it a while ago. <laughs> I love, you know, I, I like the fantasy art. RPG, D&D kind of vibe, even though yeah. this is not a, a dungeon crawl by any means. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a Euro game. You'd call it a Euro game, yeah. wouldn't you? Or, uh, yeah. But the, the, the theme of it is still that, you know, the people that, the, the merchants that sell to the adventures are going into uh -huh. dungeons and stuff. And so, like, so I love that. Uh, the one thing, when I got the game, this is what kind of threw me off. The rule book was a little bit confusing for me. I, I we had mm -hmm. I was playing with two of my buddies, Jack and John, and Jack and John, uh, uh, Jack and John, same person, Jack and Eric, uh, my huh. two gaming buddies, and they're both really smart guys. We were looking at that rule book, and the first turn, I'm not joking. And again, I like to think we're fairly, you know, with it people, although they're younger than me, their brains are not as fried as mine. And the first turn took about 45 minutes. Oh wow! And after that the turns were like seven minutes. Cause again, I think it's a 13, yeah. there are 13 rounds. So the first round yeah. took so long. It took a while to sort of get what the rule book was saying. Cause there were a lot of references to previous. If you're here and you want to know about that, go back three pages. So I was like, what? Yeah. Once we got the awkwardness out of the way, I had a great time, but that first turn took forever. But did you, did you enjoy <laughs> playing the game as well? Or should we wait until people watch your video? Oh no. Yeah. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, okay. Yeah. I enjoyed the game as well. Yeah. yeah. And it, I think the, the beauty of the game definitely helps, but also the things that I was actually doing in the, in the game, the decisions that I was making, I really enjoyed. And it has one of my favorite things, it has positive player interaction. When you go on one of those journeys and you say, hey, does anyone Let's else want to join me on this journey? That's a lot of fun. I love that. 
I love that. And I find myself, you know, with that card or like where I want to turn something in in a certain location on the board. I'm like, please say you're going there. Please say I will hop (laughs) on your back. I will hop like you will carry me like your child to get my coins. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's a great, great fun game. Again, I feel bad that it took us so long to get that first turn. But now once we did, my buddy's like, dude, we have to play that. Both both Jack and Eric, like we have to play that again. Now that we know what to do, we're super excited to play it again. So you always have to ask Jamie about chocolates, what he's playing. Uh, You know, we have have the human element because Jamie is always so great about communicating with his fans and his customers. We want to make sure we do the same here. Jamie Stegmeyer, we're so excited to have you again. The game is Libertalia Winds of Galecrest. Jamie will show that box art, which is absolutely gorgeous. Be be able to pre-order March 2nd. Hopefully you will get the game soon after that. Again, go to Stonemar Games and check it out, Jamie. We look forward to having you back. Well, now you've done the trifecta, so it'll be a fourth, fifth, and sixth time. Probably in the next week (laughs) or so, we'll have you back three more times. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Mitchell Mark. It's great to see you guys. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, myself. It is your tech report. Thank you guys for being here this week. And on behalf of everybody you just mentioned, have a wonderful week. We'll catch you again next week on Your Tech Report. You've been tuned in to Your Tech Report. Join us again next week for another edition. And be sure to follow Your Tech Report online. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on facebook.com slash yourtechreport. For the latest in breaking tech news and reviews, yourtechreport.com. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.